This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Last week we said it was Bring a Friend Week, and it looks like you all brought a friend. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you for coming out here. I appreciate seeing the summer people who are now officially here because it is officially summer here in Detroit. And I appreciate everybody who comes throughout the year. Uh, I also want to thank the amazing staff over at Yeshiva Beth Yoda and Partners Detroit for setting up this beautiful lunch and learn and enabling us to learn together in great comfort with great food and great camaraderie every week. I also want to thank the amazing staff over at Torani Time. It's an app and it's a website and it's filled with hundreds of thousands of hours of incredible Torah content. All righty, let's now dive into this week's Parsha. I probably say this every year when it comes to Parsha's Baloscha. If you have a child and you give the child an ice cream, he's very happy, right? It's a hot summer day. You give him a nice ice cream cone, double scoop. He is lit up and happy. What happens if you give him a second ice cream cone? He's very happy. Wow. He's going to figure out how he's going to lick them as fast as possible to make sure they don't melt all over his hands. However, he's really happy. But the problem is, ladies and gentlemen, if you give him a third ice cream cone, he's got this look on his eyes like a deer out in the headlights. Like, what am I? I only have two hands. Of course, that's when he starts tucking it into the crook of his arm. It's getting on his shirt. His mom is very angry at you right now. She probably was angry at you anyway when you gave her child two ice cream cones. But that's how I feel about this week's Torah portion. Parshish Baloscha, there are a few parshios in the Torah that are so stacked with different narratives, different stories, different lessons, right? Certain parshas carry one story from the beginning to the end. For example, Parshish Korach, primarily, and there's plenty to talk, by the way, there's worlds of Torah to talk about Parshish Korach, but Parshish Korach follows the story of Korach and his evil people, that's the most of it. Balak, the story of Bilam and Balak, not much else. However, Parsha's Baloscha is just so chock full of information that we're not going to be able to cover everything. What, what does it cover? For example, it starts off with the story of lighting of the menorah that Aaron would do in the desert, sorry, in the desert, in the tabernacle. And then, of course, it was done in the temple for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, let me see. Hold on a second. There's got a lot over here. We have over here the story of how the Jewish people would travel in the desert. We have the story of Pesach Sheni, the first time when people came and said, we, don't, we were not able to bring the Pesach, we want to bring another one. And God says, all right, I'll give you a redo with Pesach Sheni. There's the consecration of the Levites, how all the Levites were made holy to serve in the temple, right? Aaron HaKoyin, Aaron the high priest, on one day lifted all the Levium and waved them in preparation. There was a lot, thousands, tens of thousands of Levium lining up to be waved by Aharon Akon as they entered into their service of the temple. There is the story of the, there's, there's, in this week's Torah portion, there is an entire Sefer. There's actually, according to some opinions, there's seven books of the Torah. We're not going to get into it. We've done it in previous years, but there's seven books of the Torah because the book of Numbers stops. In the middle of this week's Torah portion, then there's an entire book of the Torah. We think of five books of Moses. There's really seven because there's Beratius, Genesis. There's Shmos, Exodus. There's Vayikra, Leviticus. There's numbers up until a port apart in this parsha, the book of Bamidbar. Then there's an entire Sefer that's just two verses long, an entire book of the Torah that's two verses long. And then there's the book of Numbers after that. So Numbers is really split up into three different books. The book of Numbers, the book of Bamidbar. It's split up into three different works. And then lastly, we have the story of, uh, sorry, and then you have the story of the people complaining, which is not just one, there's plenty of stories of that, but the whole story of the quail coming out and the people being unhappy with the mana. There's the story of Miriam and Aaron speaking Lashon Hara about Moshe and then Miriam being afflicted with Saras, with leprosy. There's a lot going on so in this week's Parsha. So we're going to try to focus on two different things. Number one, we're going to focus on the story of the mana, which we, and how they complained about it, and they end up getting quail, which we've spoken about also in previous years, but I want to focus on one little detail over here. Let's read that Torah portion. That is in Bamidbar Perak Yud Aleph. It's Numbers chapter 11. Okay. 
I'm going to read. Here we go. We'll just start from the beginning of chapter 11. The people took to seeking complaints. You ever had a situation? You ever feel like people sometimes are just looking for something to complain about? Right? Like, like America today, for example. Right? People sometimes are just looking for atrocities to be outraged by. There's more supply. Sorry, there's, there's less supply of outrage than there's demand. There's such a high demand right now. We want to be outraged. We want to be angry. So we, we find things. We fabricate problems for our society today. The people took to seeking complaints. It was evil in the ears of Hashem, and Hashem heard against them, and it consumed at the edge of the camp. The people cried out to Moses. Moses prayed to Hashem, and the fire died down. He named that place Taverah, for the fire of Hashem had burned against them. That's one part of the story. But then you would think they would have learned from that. So again, people were complaining for no reason. They were seeking to fabricate complaints. God makes a fire. It eats at the edges of the camp. There's some death. The people come to Moshe. Moshe prays. The fire stops. I think the lesson should have been, let's stop complaining. <laughs> but, but, but no, ladies and gentlemen, no. The rabble that was among them cultivated a craving. Same kind of problem. First, you manufacture complaints. Then you say, okay, you told me I can't complain because there's nothing legit. So let's cultivate a craving. What are we missing in our lives? Nothing really. Let's find something to be missing. The rabble that was among them cultivated a craving, and the children of Israel also wept once more, and they said, who will feed us meat? We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt free of charge, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our life is parched. Our souls are parched. We have nothing to anticipate. There's nothing. We have nothing but the manna. Nothing but the mana. The mana was amazing. The mana tasted like whatever you wanted to taste like. You woke up in the morning, you decided you wanted steak for breakfast. No problem. Just eat your mana and think steak. But that wasn't for everybody. Ah, uh, 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 uh. good, good. Jamie, there you go. You're ahead of me. You're, 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 you're always one step ahead of me. I'm going to get there. We're going to get there. Okay. So the mana tasted like whatever you wanted it to taste like. That's what all of our sages have told us, right? And if you wanted to have steak for breakfast, you had steak for breakfast. If you wanted ice cream on top of your steak for breakfast, for whatever reason, as long as it was part, you would think ice cream on top of your steak breakfast, and you had that too. Whatever you, you had, whatever you wanted. So, what was the complaint? Now, the Torah here is where the key I want to talk about. The Torah starts describing what this mana was. Vahaman kizrab gadhu. The mana was like a coriander seed. Ve'eno ke'en ha'bedolach. And it, it looked, it shined like the bedolach stone. The bedolach stone is like an iridescent stone. A little white iridescent stone. So it had a shine to it. Like you're eating a shiny iridescent little kind of, kind of poppy seed type of shape. Yats, here's the key words over here. Shatu ha'am v'loktu. The people would stroll and gather it. They would grind it in a mill. Or they would pound it with a mortar. So you know the old RX symbol was the mortar and the pestle, right? So they would pound it with a mortar. And they would cook it in a pot. And they would make it into cakes. And it tasted like the taste of dough kneaded with oil. Okay, when the dew would come down, when the dew would come down on the on the camp at night, Yered Haman Alav, the man would come out on it. Okay. So let's go. We we've heard before this idea that the man tasted like whatever you wanted it to taste like. The Torah doesn't say that over here. The Torah says they would go, they would stroll, they would find it. They would, it was a multi-step process. I mean, think about it. This was no TV dinner, right? It wasn't like popping in the microwave for five minutes. No, they would grind it in a mill or pound it with a mortar, then cook it in a pot or make it into cakes, right? There was some prep time over here. Like when you, when you go to a recipe, here are the ingredients, then prep time, it says, right? Prep time, 17 minutes, whatever it was. I was told it was this magical food. You just ate it and tasted like whatever you wanted. But here it's telling you there was actually some prep time involved. And furthermore, it doesn't say it tasted like whatever you wanted. 
It said it tasted like dough fried in oil, kneaded with oil. So what, what's the deal with the mana? You guys with me? Okay. All righty, ladies and gentlemen. Very, very big episode. Very big foundational idea I want to share with you over here. The Gemara said, in Tractate Yuma, page 75A, it says like this, that there were actually different people, as Jamie was just saying, there were different people who got their mana differently. If you were a tzaddik, you would wake up in the morning and it would be right outside your door of your tent like that Amazon package that you ordered at 11.45 p.m. And it said, if you spend more than $35, it will be delivered overnight. And they weren't kidding because you wake up in the morning at 7 a.m. You go out of your house to go to shoppers and there on the floor is an Amazon package with toothpaste and other items that you bought that you didn't need because you had to reach the $35 threshold. You guys know, <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about. Does anybody need everything? I have to reach the $35 threshold. Okay. So that's, if you were exotic, says the Gemara and you, but you would wake up in the morning, you would open up your tent and there was your mana waiting for you in a nice little package. Amazon Shalom. Okay. <laughs> Next, Beinonim. So the language there is Sadiqim Yared Lahem Haman Al Pesach Besam. The Sadiqim, the man was there at the entrance to their house. Benonim, Yatsu Velachtu. The middle people, so you have tzaddikim, righteous people, middle of the road people have to go out and gather it. It wouldn't be kind of waiting in your Amazon package. You'd have to go out a little bit and gather it. However, Rishaim, Shatu Velachtu. The evil ones had to spread out to go get their mana. It was not at their doorstep. They'd have to go find it. Like the Amazon package that got left by your neighbor two streets down, but the same address. That happens from time to time. Okay, so you had to buy me there. If you were a Russia, it didn't come your way. Okay, now, before God gave the Torah, because the month started before God gave the Torah, the month started uh, while they were in the desert. They were in the desert for 50 days before they got the Torah. So how did God know who was the righteous and who was not? Okay? So the Zohar says, the Zohar says in Parshas Bishalach, which is where we first see the man coming down, Rabbi Shimon says, come and see, even before Hashem gave the Torah to the Jewish people, he was able to see who was righteous and faithful and who was not. Who wanted the Torah and who did not? And how did he know? What was his metric? What reagent did he use? You know that you know the word reagent means when you're testing the pool water. So you take a little bit of the pool water, you put it, you drop some drops of the reagent in, and it turns different colors depending on the chlorine level. For many years, I was a lifeguard. I had to check the pool three, four times a day, right? So you have the water from the pool and you put in the reagent, right? You, and then it makes a reaction. Right, so what was what was the the metric that God used? How did He know who was the righteous and who wasn't with the man? The man, the mana from heaven, was the determinant to, to to show whether you were righteous or not. How? And it was all right. Before we get to how, how do I know this? Because the Torah, when it brought down the man for the first time, Hashem says. Liman anasenu. I will give him the man so that I will test him. What are you testing him with? You're giving him the greatest gift. You're giving him food that can taste like anything. And by the way, you know what you didn't do when you ate the man? Two things you didn't do. You didn't gain weight, number one. All right? Can we imagine that a little bit, ladies and gentlemen? Okay. You didn't gain weight, number one. And number two. You didn't do number two. <laughs> Very well said. There was inflow, but no outflow, as the rabbi said. Right? There was no time to read. <laughs> now, there, was, there was no outflow. There was inflow, but no outflow. You didn't go to the bathroom. Amazing. Amazing food. So how is God testing us with this? 
So it's like this. All those who had faith went out and gathered their money, and they blessed God for giving it to them. And they said, thank you so much, God. This is amazing. I appreciate so much what you do for me. And for them, the man had the smell of the incense of Gan of Eden, of the Garden of Eden. And they thought whatever they wanted to thought, and that's exactly what it tasted like. And then they would bless HaKadosh Baruch Hu for it. And then Hashem would give them with the man an incredible clarity and insight. The man was not only food for your, for your stomach. It was food for your mind. The generation that ate the man is called the Dordea. The generation that ate the mana was called the generation of knowledge. Where did they get this knowledge? It literally came with your food. That's what I call a superfood. Right? That's what I call a brain food. They would eat the mana and it would literally give them wisdom. And this is, that's, the, the Zohar is saying this. The Zohar brings it up. This is what they were called. They were called the Dardea. These were the people of faith. And to them, the Torah was given because they had the ability to really understand and plumb the depths of the Torah on the highest level because they were eating the mana every day. Their brains were super brains. Their understanding was super understanding. They were living on a different elevated plane. However, ladies and gentlemen, that's the good guys. The people who did not want to have faith in God, shatu ha'am vilaktu, they spread out to gather. Now the word shatu in Hebrew comes from the same root as the word shtus. What is shtus? A foolishness, a narishkeit, a foolishness. Shtus ha'yulokshem la'atzmam. They would take insanity to themselves because they did not want to have faith in God. What did they do? They came home with this mana and they started grinding it in the grinder. Dude, this is spiritual food. You don't got to do that. No, 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 no. You think what? God makes magical unicorn food? No, no, no. I, I know how to prepare food. I'm a chef. I grind it up like this and then I sprinkle some sesame seeds on it. I fry it. I make some general chow's mana or I put it in the oven. I make some challah, whatever. Like, these people, and you're looking at them, what are you doing, man? What are you, why are you grinding it up? It doesn't require, the recipe does not call for grinding. The mana was spiritual food. All you have to do is put it in your mouth and eat it. But these fools would sit there and they would show you, oh, but I got this, I got all kinds of recipes. Don't you tell me this is spiritual food. I don't, I don't believe, I don't see God, so he can't exist. So it must be. I mean, I didn't know that in the desert there's all kinds of native shrubs and plants that you can eat, and I have all kinds of ways to prepare it and make it better. Look, I grind it up like this, or I put it in my mortar, and I put it in the pestle, and I bang away at it, and I muddle it a little bit, and then I like, I've got a secret. I like to add a little bit of baking soda. Gives it a more fluffiness. Like, what are you doing? This doesn't need baking soda. But these are the fools. And guess what? What do you get? You play foolish games, you win. They, you, you play foolish games, you win foolish prizes. What did it end up tasting like? Dough kneaded with oil. It didn't taste like filet mignon. And it didn't taste like steak with ice cream on top. You, you couldn't have Taco Tuesday. <laughs> there was no... You, if you, if you ate them on the right way, all you got to do is Taco Tuesday. Boom. Tastes like tacos. Pizza Thursday night because we're preparing for Shabbos. Ah, you're not really preparing for Shabbos. You'll eat mine tomorrow, but pizza, no problem. Pizza Thursday night. You got it. Whatever you wanted to taste it like. But if you say, no, God, I've got, I don't believe this is really spiritual food. This is some kind of indigenous native food in the desert. I don't really believe in this whole God thing. I don't know. Do you see God? Do you smell God? Can you touch him? Can you put him in a beaker? Can you check him out in the lab? I don't know. I can't. So I eat this desert native food and I prepare it my way. And you lose out for that. It doesn't even taste as good. You only get dough kneaded with oil when you could have had filet mignon. 
So that was what the Zohar says in Parshas B'Shalach, an unbelievable idea. And again, if you had faith in God, you would wake up in the morning and your Amazon package was right there. Your mom was right there. You took it into the house. You went to go to Shachris because you woke up in the morning. It was right there on the dew. The dew was very early in the morning. You brought it inside. You left it on the counter. You went to Shachris. You came home. By then already, the kids are getting up. They're getting ready for school. You take out the mana. You put a bunch of mana in each cup. And you say, here you go. My kids and I were always discussing what cereals are appropriate for the weekdays. You know what I'm saying? Shabbos, we have sugar cereal. But there's all these questions. Because, of course, there's like there's cocoa pebbles and cinnamon toast crunch. Those are not appropriate for weekday cereals. They've got so much sugar that your kids go to school wired up on sugar. They act crazy. You don't want to do that. You don't want to start your kids off on. You don't want to start your kids off limping into school because they've been hobbled by too much sugar before they got to school. So we have certain Cheerios, corn flakes, Rice Krispies, one gram of sugar, two grams of sugar. But then you have the in the middle, the honey bunches of oats, seven grams of sugar. It's not as bad as the cinnamon toast crunch with. 14 grams of sugar, but it's not as good as the Cheerios. There's all kinds of questions. So you, you sit here, you come home, you start feeding your kids breakfast, you give them each a cup of mana, and they can have whatever they want every day. You want cocoa pebbles? Ooh, cocoa pebbles. You want cinnamon toast crunch? Ooh, cinnamon toast crunch. No preparation necessary, no pounding with the mortar, no grinding with the mill, no frying it, no baking it, no anything. You just give it to your kids. Some of your kids are creative. They're having hot dogs and, and hamburgers for breakfast. No problem. And then you have this other guy down the block. He's eating the same food, but it takes him half an hour to go out. He's got to get up. I got to get up early in the morning. I got to go get my food. And of course, he goes and finds it. It's like half hour away. He brings it home. He doesn't go to Shul because he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe I got to thank God. But he sits there and prepares. They're both eating breakfast at the same time. One kid's are eating fried dough, and one kids are eating whatever they want. <clears throat> now, when you hear the story, you think it's crazy, right? You think it's crazy. But let's turn the mirror on ourselves, ladies and gentlemen. Let's turn the mirror on ourselves. You could have two homes, and the kids are both eating breakfast in the morning. Two homes, the kids are both sitting down to dinner. And it's the exact same dinner. In one home, they're saying, wow, look at this amazing dinner that God gave us. Look at this. We've got peppers and cucumbers, tomatoes, homemade pizza. There's cheese here from a, from a dairy farm. There's flour here from a wheat farm. Oh, and Hashem makes it all with such bounty. We say a bracha out loud. And we enjoy it and we taste the food. And it's like we're, we're like tasting. We're like, you're like, we're sitting like kings. Look at this incredible variety in our table. And you have other people who are sitting down to dinner and they're like, ugh, can't we just order out? <laughs> right? How come all, they always go to the restaurants? Why can't we go to the restaurants? They're not appreciating the bounty that God gave them. They're eating the same food. For one person, it tastes like you're sitting at a king's table. And for the other person, it's like, it's like I'm eating just dough kneaded with oil. It's all in your head. And it's an all in how much you appreciate HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's all in your emuna. The same thing goes for finances. Some, two people have the identical home. One walks up to his home and he says, wow, thank you, Hashem. Thank you, Hashem, for giving me such a beautiful home. And thank you, Hashem, that my home even has central air and central heating. And the other guy walks up to his home. He's like, God, how come you gave me such a small home? I got to work harder now. If you would have taken care of me, I'd be okay. But I got to work harder now because my home is not big enough. And I got to go spend five more hours in the office. Does he come out any richer? Nope. The same guy, you could, and this is, again, this, this last week we did this, but I'm doing this again. I'm talking to myself over here. You can work seven hours a day. You can work 18 hours a day. You come home with the same mana. You come home with the same mana because that mana was decreed upon you on Rosh Hashanah. 
In Shemayim, it was decreed, you will make X this year. You can work 18 hours a day to get X. You can work seven hours a day. Do you want to wake up in the morning and X, your money is there for you? You have to put in a minimal amount of work, obviously, because Kodesh Baruch Hu said, you got to... The way the, the way the world is that you've got to go to work and you've got to put in your established, but that's all you've got to put in. You put in your established, you come home, you go, you do what you got to do, you learn, or you work 24 hours a day. You both have the same mana at the end. And not only that, the one who only works his minimal amount and puts in the bitachon work and puts in the faith, he comes home, he's so appreciative to God because he knows I only worked seven hours, I only worked eight hours today, and I have this incredible bounty. Wow, I'm so thankful. It's a gift from God. Whereas the person who worked 18 hours and he's got the same amount of food, he's like, I'm putting in so much and this is all that I get. It really makes a difference in how you appreciate and enjoy what you eat. So that is the lesson of the mana. The mana was the 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 lightning rod, the reagent that God would use to test you. And a corollary of that is that to this very day, Hashem is still testing us. Just the mana is no longer miraculous food that you pick off the ground. It's the money that you've got. Mana, money. <laughs> mana, money. Hashem, t- Hashem used to taste us with, test us with the man. Now he tastes us with the money. <laughs> it's amazing, right? Hashem tastes us with the money. Hashem saying, let's see. Let's see. Are you going to have faith in me? Are you going to recognize the money that you have comes from me? Are you going to be appreciative to me for it? It will taste amazing to you. Whatever you have, when you ate the man, the man it says you would eat a little bit and it would be mizbarech b'meav. It would, it would grow in your stomach, so to speak. Even if you only had a little, it felt like a lot. How many people do you know who don't have a lot, but you talk to them and they, 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 feel, like they're, they feel like they're millionaires? And how many people do you know who are multi-multi-millionaires? When you talk to them, you, you think this guy's so poor, the way he's talking. He doesn't have this, and he doesn't have that. I got to keep working. I don't have enough. It's all the man and the money are the same message. Leman anasenu. Hashem says, I will test you. I can make it easy for you. If you have faith, if you're appreciative, I can make it easy for you. Or you could spend the whole day running around trying to collect all your money because it's all far away from your tent, and you got to collect it, and you come home, and you got to grind it. And mortar it. Now, I just want to tell you an amazing story. Just to show you that any Yid at any point can make that twist, that turn, and become a full-on believer and experience the sweetness of the man. There was a Heiliger Rav, the Opta Rav, the Ayav Yisrael, he was known. And he lived in Europe in the 1800s. And he heard that there was a tavern owner who was incredibly successful, but more importantly, when he would give people brachos, these brachos would come true. So the rabbi said, I, I, I want to travel and see this man, see what's going on, because the stories were getting louder and louder. So the Optorov goes, and he travels, and he comes to this man's tavern, and he spends a day kind of hanging out. In those days, when you would travel to a city, there would usually be like one bed and breakfast, a kosher bed and breakfast. They used to call in the Yiddish stories a kretschma, a kretschmer, and uh, you, 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 it would, they would serve food. They would serve, they, usually there were whiskey makers, too. Only the Jews were allowed to make whiskey, which, of course, was a great peril for their lives, unfortunately. But so they would, they would often be the town's distiller, the town's, you know, brewer, and they would have a little restaurant and they'd have a place to sleep. So the Ayav Yisrael stays there for a couple of days and he's watching this guy. He wants to see, is there anything unique about this guy that his blessings, that he's giving people blessings that are coming true, people are coming to him. He wants to know, like, I just want to make sure this guy's legit because there's a lot of frauds. Spends a couple of days. He says, I don't see anything different about this guy. So finally, he says, can I meet with you for, for a few minutes? The guy says, certainly. He says, look, I'm, I'm the Opta Rav. I come from, this, from the city of Opta. I said, oh, Rabbi, I'm so sorry if I would have known. He said, no, no, don't worry. I, I'm fine. He says, I, I, I came to check you out because people say that your blessings come true. And 
I wanted to see, like, are you extraordinarily pious? Do you pray for hours and hours on end? I don't see it. Are you going to the mikvah five times a day and purifying yourself? I don't see it. So I, I just, I, I don't, explain to me what is going on. So the man said, I'll tell you. So we were very, very poor. I have this little store here and I make whiskey and beer. I'm a brewer and a distiller. I have a little restaurant. And at one point, <laughs> my business was failing and it was so bad. It was so bad. And I, it got to a point where like I had nothing left. And my wife would say to me, what's going on? Go find a partner. Go revive your business. Who am I going to find? No one wants to partner with me. I've been a failure for the last seven years. Everyone knows in town that my brewery, my distillery, it's not doing well. And my wife would come and she'd, she'd constantly be hounding me. And, and, for, and for good reason, because my kids were hungry. And finally, it just got to be too much. It got to be too much. And my kids were hungry. Complaining, Daddy, it's not fair. How come we don't have enough to eat? Whatever. And I, I didn't have what to answer them. I decided I said, I'm going to find me a partner. So I go around town and I'm like, Would you like to partner with me? And they would say to me, Yankala, <laughs> you're a really nice guy. You're, you're amazing. I know you have a special secret recipe for your whiskey. Thanks, but not as a business partner. Let's keep it as a friendship, not as a business partner. And I went to the next guy, no thanks. Finally, I'm walking home and dejected. I'm like, you know what? I had, I had an epiphany something. I'm like, you know what? I don't need people to be my partners. I looked up at heavens and I said, master of the world. I want to be partners with you. I don't want any human partners. Let's make a business venture. You and I will be partners and I will give you half of everything that I make. We're 50, 50 partners. And I just felt a weight lift off my shoulders. And I come home to my wife. She says, no, did you get a partner? I said, yes, I found a partner. Is he well capitalized? He said, he has got unlimited funds. And sure enough, from then on, everything started to change. And I have here behind the counter, I have two slots. And literally, whatever anybody gives me, half goes into God's slot and half goes into my slot. We've been partners ever since. And Hashem has sent me tremendous success. It was the greatest partnership I ever made. And the Aptarav said, you are truly a person who can give brachos because you have real, real faith. Anybody can decide to have the faith. Anybody can taste the sweet, sweet taste of the mana, of the man. You can still taste it today. It's the faith. It's the bread of faith. It's the bread of appreciation. It's the bread of Akar Satov, Takarish Baruch Hu. Gratitude to God. And when you eat it, mm, it is incredible. And it's filled with blessing. And you can even eat just a little bit. And it's Mizbarech B'meav. It fills you up with blessing. Okay, that's idea number one. Amen. Idea number two that I want to talk about today. Oh, I forgot to say. Ladies and gentlemen, Cherna and Eugene Kowalski, long, long time members of this group, are sponsoring today's Lunch and Learn in memory of Kerna's father, Jay Bodzin, Yehuda Shimon, Ben Moshe Chaim Halevi, and her sister-in-law, Betty Kowalski, Stefan Brucha Baszelik Halevi. Okay, there you go. Did I get it right, Cherna? Okay, I did not get it right. You can put it in the text what I got wrong, and I'll try to, I'll try to get it right. Okay. All righty. Okay, now, ladies and gentlemen, let's get to one more point over here. There's the story here of Aaron and Moshe having a conversation. Sorry, Aaron and Miriam. Miriam is Moshe's older sister. She was a Navi. She was a Navia. She was a prophetess. Aaron was the high priest. He was a prophet. And they had a conversation that was not exactly positive about Moshe. 
And Hashem comes and rebukes them, and Miriam gets Sarah's. So I want to talk about it. One of the, when God rebukes them, when God rebukes Miriam and Aaron for speaking bad about Moshe, let me pull it up. It's a parakid. really bad. A And here it is. Hashem. So Hashem comes to them suddenly. Okay, we're not going to get into the whole details of what it was. And he said, Vayomer. And Hashem says to, basically Miriam and Aaron were complaining that Moses had divorced his wife. Moses felt like I'm so busy engaged with God all the time. I can't be in the marital way because I might be unclean. I might be in the middle of, you know, God, I have to be on call 24-7. And the marital responsibilities require a person to be on call 24-7 for their wife. And it was not appropriate. So they got divorced. And Miriam and Aaron, their complaint against them was like, hey, you're not the only prophet out there. We're prophets too. We didn't divorce our spouses. So Hashem says to them, Hashem comes to them, and Hashem says, Shimon Advarai, hear my words. If there be prophets amongst you, in a vision shall I, Hashem, make myself known to him. In a dream I speak to him. Not so is my servant Moshe. In my entire house, he is the most trustworthy servant. I speak to him mouth to mouth. In a clear vision and not in riddles. At the about my servant Moshe. Meaning, any other prophet, it's not, you're right. You guys are all prophets. And therefore you don't, and you don't get divorced because you don't have the same level of relationship with me that Moshe has. Moshe is my most trusted servant. He is the one I speak to more clearly, more clairvoyantly than anyone else. You don't have that same relationship. Moshe did the right thing. How could you speak poorly about Moshe? Don't you know that whatever he did, he did with my agreement? And then what happens? So Miriam suddenly finds herself in, in covered in leprosy. And of course, Moshe davens for his sister. He prays to Hashem and uh, he prays to her. Now, the Pasuk tells us though, Vaish Moshe Anav Maod Michal Adam Asher. Hold on a second. Yeah, Vaish Moshe Anav Maod, and Moshe was exceedingly humble. From all people in on the face of the earth. Why does the Torah feel the necessity to tell us that Moshe was the humblest of people? What does this have to do with anything? So the answer is, if you want to know what it takes to become, we have now two things, two records that Moshe holds. And they're both told to us in chapter 12 of the book of Numbers in Parakid Bays of Sefer Bamidbar. And Hashem is telling you, it's not by chance that Moshe holds these two records. Number one, he's my most trusted and loyal servant. And number two, he's the most humble person. You want to be a trusted servant of God. What do you got to be? Most humble. Being a trusted servant of God is never about what you know. It's about your own way you view yourself. It's not about how much Torah you've amassed. It's about how you look at yourself and how you look at the world. And of course, Moshe, on one hand, the greatest teacher ever. And of course, he knows that. So how can he be the most humble? Do you know what happened when Moshe was born? When Moshe was born, it says the whole house was filled with light. And when they opened up the... Even when Basia, the daughter of Pharaoh, opened up the little basket that Moshe was in, she saw a vision of God, 
The Gemara says Vatirei, which is a Vatirei Sayel. She saw the child. Vatirei who? She saw him or, or it and the child. She saw Hashem. Now, by raise of hand, who here, when they were born, the entire home was filled with godly light? Just by raise of hand. My mother says, me, me. I'm kidding. <laughs> like, my mother's on the Zoom right now. She's like, no, lady. I don't recall it that way. When Moshe was born, the house was filled with light. When you saw the baby Moses in the basket, you saw God hovering over it. Moses was able to be humble because he says, yes, I may be the greatest teacher, but that's because God gave me all this from the time I was born. When you take into account all that God gave me, then I'm not the greatest thing since sliced bread. I may have the greatest job, but am I carrying it out to the best of my abilities? Moshe didn't feel so, and that's what made him humble. The difference between the humble one and the non-humble one is not what you do. It's do you think you're doing the best you can? It's do you think you're doing more than you're able to even? Do you think that you're great and you're super successful and that you're super awesome and you're really trying your hardest? Then you're arrogant. If you think like, wow, I've been given so much. God really set me up for a lot in this world and I'm, I'm not there yet. I feel humbled by all that opportunity that God has given me. I feel humbled that God gave me the opportunity to talk to him. When we dive and we say, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you, Hashem. We talk to him. You realize how incredible that is that you are given that opportunity? Do you feel humbled by that? Like, wow, I've been given the most unbelievable opportunity. Angels don't talk like that. Angels talk to God in third person. What do angels say? Kadosh, 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 Hashem, Tzavakos, Holy, holy, holy is the God of legions. The whole world is filled with his honor. The angels don't get to talk to God. They don't get to say, Baruch Atah Hashem. They don't say, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh Atah. We say, Baruch Atah. You realize what a gift you were given? You have the ability to talk to God one-on-one, and he wants to hear from you. Do you know that you have this incredible God-given ability? That you could just smile at somebody and say good morning and make them have a better day. Isn't that unbelievable? Are you not humbled by the opportunities at your hand? You really feel like you've given it your best? In Judaism, the greatest teacher of Torah, the key character trait doesn't say he was the most wise of people. Solomon, it says he was the wisest of people, but he, and he, he, he had his struggles too. The greatness of Moses is not in his wisdom. It's in his humility. In every single yeshiva, when people study Torah, seven, eight, nine hours a day, in every single yeshiva, they have what's called a Musr Seder. Musr Seder means character development time. All day you're sitting and learning. You're learning Jewish law. You're learning the Talmud. Great. Now we have time to learn Musr, time to learn about how to make yourself a better human being. And for that, the Bakrim, the students go out, they put on their hat and jacket for that. Normally, when you during the day, they wear shirt sleeves. Some will wear a jacket. They don't wear the hat all the time in, in the synagogue. When it comes time to learn Musr, <clears throat> put on their hat and jacket. This is serious now. This is the most serious. This is the most important. How can we have a day that goes by that we don't spend time reflecting on what we can do to be better human beings, what we can do do to be more humble, what we can do to be more careful, more sensitive, more holy and and, and sacred, more sacrificial, more giving of yourself towards others, more selfless. And the hallmark of the great sages is not in the stories you hear about them that he knew so much Torah. Those are the cool stories. Oh, that's cool. But the stories of how they conducted themselves with other people. There's a rabbi in Eretz Yisrael. His name is Rabbi Avraham Ganachovsky. A great rabbi. Lives in B'nai Brak. Someone was once learning with him. He came back to his apartment. He used to go to the Davin Vasikin. He would Davin at the crack of dawn. 
And then he would have he would come home and he would have a chavrusa with somebody. He would study with somebody. In the middle of studying, the phone rings and he picks up. Hello, good, good morning. It was an elderly widow in the neighborhood who says to the rabbi, "Can I please speak to your wife, the rabbitson?" He says, "I'm so sorry. She 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 went to bed very late last night. Um, she's still resting. But is there anything I can help you with?" And the lady says, "No, I, I just got to speak to your wife." He says, "Great." I'll I'll make sure as soon as she wakes up to let you know let her know that you called. Four minutes later, the phone rings. Good morning. She says, "Hi, this is same lady. Can I speak to your wife, please?" He says, "I'm so sorry. She she went to bed kind of late last night, and she's still sleeping. Can I help you with anything?" She says, "No, I just need to speak to your wife." Okay, no problem. I will let her know as soon as she wakes up. Puts down the phone, keeps learning. A few minutes later, the phone rings. Same lady. Good morning. Can I speak to your to your wife? She unfortunately, the lady didn't. She had. She was in in, in a state of uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, whatever it was. She called fifteen times, fifteen times, and every single time the rabbi answered the exact same way. He didn't say, "You know what? I don't know if you remember. You just called me." Not once. He didn't let it go to voicemail. He picked up every single time. This is a rabbi, a big rabbi. He's got things to do. He studied Torah to study. But there's a woman on the other end who, if she doesn't hear from this person, will be a little bit distressed. And if you let her know, by the way, you've you've called seven times, it's going to make her feel more distressed. So 15 times in one hour, he just answers the phone every single time with the same joy. Same, oh, no, I'm so sorry. She's asleep. Can I help you with anything? No? Okay, I'll be sure to let her know. Thank you so much for calling. 15 times. That's what makes Rabbi Ganachowski great. Not that he knows a lot of Torah. Rav Nassim Svi Finkel was the Rosh Yeshiva of the Mir Yeshiva in Jerusalem. A Yeshiva with 8,000 students. And at the end of his life, he had severe Parkinson's. But he wouldn't take medication, which would have eased his pain tremendously, because then it would dull his mind. And he wouldn't be able to serve his boys and lecture for the boys and head the yeshiva, which he felt was way more important than pain reduction. And everyone could see there were many times where you would see he was holding his hands. He used to stand like this, kind of holding his hands, trying to hold them in place. And he, he went through enormous pain, but he would not take medication because he had a job. And that was more important than his own pain. He was beloved, revered by all of his students. But there's one story, and I've probably told it before, but it just, I, I can't say this story enough. There was a new boy who had just come to the yeshiva. And... He went over one of the first mornings and he didn't know, he didn't understand the way yeshiva goes. Here's a yeshiva with 8,000 students. And this is the head rabbi who's got the entire responsibility of taking care of them, of feeding them, of spiritually guiding them, of setting the policy, of everything. And on top of that, he's got Parkinson's. And on top of that, he's got every kind of classes to give. This boy came over on the first morning and said, I wanted to say Shalom Aleichem. I wanted to say Hello to the to the, the Rosh Yeshiva. The Rosh Yeshiva said, oh, Shalom Aleichem, where are you from? What's your name? Yeah, thank you. So glad that you joined the Yeshiva. Thank you, thank you. And the boy says to Rav Nassim Svi, is it possible I could have a Harusa with the Rosh Yeshiva? Is it possible we could learn together sometime? And that's a highly inappropriate ask. The Rosh Yeshiva has 8,000 students to take care of, and he doesn't really have time for a freshman student. He's, he's... How does Rav Nassim Svi Finkel respond? Listen and become greater just by hearing the story. Rav Nassim Svi Finkel says, of course, I would love that. He then takes his little calendar, his daily planner, out of his pocket, and he says to the boy, when is good for you? When is good for you? Now I can maybe slot you in if you're willing to walk me home from this to that for six minutes. I can maybe have a conversation with you. No. Oh, you want to learn with me? I would be delighted. When is good for you? Boom. You hear this story, you just become a better being by knowing that this exists. 
Moshe was not the most the, the, the most beloved and trusted servant of God because he knew so much or he taught Torah so beautifully. It's because he was the most humble person. The most cognizant, clearly cognizant of all the blessings that God had given him. Filled with appreciation. Able to handle all the challenges of the Jewish nation. A nation that has plenty, plenty, plenty of uh, challenges. And you can only handle them if you're very, 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 very humble. So let's just review our lessons for today, ladies and gentlemen. Number one, you want to taste the mun? Go home and taste the mun. Go home and taste the blessings. You can make them into anything you want. The blessings are already there in your life. If you want, you can work on them and wrestle over them and complain about them and talk about them and search all over the place for the blessings. And then you can come home and you can grind them and you can bake them. And they'll just taste like bread kneaded with oil. Or you could recognize the incredible blessings that are already in your life. You could recognize the gifts. You could recognize that your life already tastes like filet mignon with ice cream on top. The kosher ice cream on top, the par of ice cream on top. That's right. You could recognize that already. And the, the same way God tested us back then with the man, Hashem tests us, tests us today with the money. You'll get what you're supposed to get. It's the effort that you put in that will indicate how much faith you have. And of course, the last message of the importance of humility, the importance on working on our characters, working on ourselves, developing ourselves. The reason why Moshe was the greatest leader was not because he was brilliant, not because he knew everything, none of that. It's because he was humble and saw, did not see himself as great, saw himself as a flawed human being. Moshe Rabbeinu saw himself as a flawed human being, even though he was so great, but he started off. The house lit up with fire. We all started off. Our houses did light up with fire, with fire when, you, when you were born. Your mother may have not had the eyes to see it, but when that neshama came into your body, your house was filled with fire, with a godly light. You all have incredible opportunities, incredible capabilities. You have the ability to light up other people's lives. And you have the ability to have an incredible personal, close connection with God. You can speak to God face-to-face, even though he, you may not see him the same way Moses saw him. You can speak to him face-to-face. You can say, Baruch Atah. Let's recognize those blessings in our lives and let's be the blessing for others. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for listening and thank you for being awesome. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.